Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. That is our, the beginning of our text for this morning. You recall a, a couple weeks ago in our study through Ephesians, we considered Ephesians 5.18. And within its larger context, that particular verse taught us in order to live wisely in these present evil days, we must be spirit-controlled. That is how we are to live as Christians. We're to live the spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life. But what does living that life look like so that we can know whether or not we actually are spirit-filled? What are the consequences, the results, the evidences of the spirit-filled life? Well, Paul tells us in the verses immediately following the imperative, be spirit-filled, be filled with the spirit. Verses 19 through 21, the apostle gives, you'll remember, five present tense uh, participles, addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. These participles, you recall, signal the results of the Spirit-filled life, which last week we grouped together into four major evidences. We learned believers' evidence that they are Spirit-controlled by their individual and corporate worship their thankfulness, and their submission. Submission is, as you notice, the last evidence we finished with last week. It's from Ephesians 5.21, which says that Christians should submit. And remember, the basic idea of that word, particularly in that verse, is the idea of service. We should serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Christians should mutually serve one another. Now, I purposely highlight that particular evidence of the Spirit-filled life, not only because it's where we left off last week, but also because it launches us into a new section that's going to stretch from Ephesians 5, verse 22, down through chapter 6, verse 9. In this portion of his epistle, Paul elaborates on the theme of spirit-filled submission. More specifically, we could say spirit-filled submission in the Christian household. In this section, Paul is going to basically address the domestic conduct of Christian wives and husbands, parents and children, and masters and slaves. Uh, Scholars refer to this particular section and other portions of Scripture that are similar to it as household codes. From, again, Ephesians 5.22 down through chapter 6, verse 9, Paul explains how the family should function and how each member in the family should fill its respective God-given role. Paul tells each member of the household how to live in a way that pleases God. We just need to understand right at the outset as we launch into this new section, we cannot possibly individually fulfill these biblical roles that we're going to be looking at in our own power. Left to ourselves, our flesh wants to promote self, not promote others, not even fellow family members. But as we yield to the Holy Spirit, he can fill us, control us, empower us to serve one another, to esteem other family members in our home better than ourselves. Additionally, we need to understand, besides knowing that we cannot fulfill our biblical roles in our own strength, we also need to understand that the unsaved world is not going to in any way encourage us to fulfill these God-given roles. In fact, the lost world will oppose and even ridicule us as Christians for trying to fulfill them. If you haven't noticed, modern American society hates God's way for the family, even though it is, of course, the best way. In our culture, there is unprecedented confusion regarding gender, marriage, and family. 
The foundation of our society is crumbling before our very eyes. The, the biblical ideal for marriage and family is under constant attack today. The biblical ideal of a faithful, monogamous, permanent marriage between one man and one woman for life who have children is mocked. It's considered outdated. It's considered irrelevant. Conversely, what do you have? Well, you have most couples today cohabiting with one another before marriage, fornicating before marriage, and even in their marriages, often committing adultery. And divorce, of course, is considered commonplace. Many proudly proclaim their affirmation of supposed homosexual love, which is really just sodomite lust. Even supposed churches do this. We know that they're not real churches. These are synagogues of Satan. And now we've got parents abusing their children by having them surgically mutilated into supposedly another gender. Our world today is in utter moral confusion because it defies God's design for the family. A husband's authority, a wife's submission, and children's obedience means nothing to most today. Our society rejects these God-ordained roles. We've lost our mind. We've lost our way because of sin. We live in a morally confused, rebellious generation. We have to understand this moral confusion, rebellion, isn't just in the unsaved world. And it's not just in supposed churches that are really non-churches. The confusion and rebellion has seeped into even conservative evangelical churches. Many husbands that attend these kind of churches love themselves more than their wife. Many of the wives are closet feminists who are constantly trying to take the authority and leadership away from their husbands. Many of the parents in these churches are not really bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the children, many of Many of them are constantly defying and disobeying their parents because they don't really honor their parents. These professing believers say they believe in the Bible, but they do not follow it. They do not practice it in their home life. My question is, is this us? Is this you? Is this your family? I pray not. But the truth of the matter is, It will be us outside of God's grace and the work of his spirit. But by his empowerment, we can fulfill our biblical roles. If we yield to the spirit's control, we can obey the commands that Paul gives us throughout his household codes here in Ephesians 5 and 6. We can have a spirit-filled home. We can, by God's grace, the empowerment of spirit, have homes that please the Lord and honor the Lord. Well, as mentioned earlier, spirit-filled mutual submission is the theme of this new section that we are starting here today. In it, Paul explains how three relationship pairs should display mutual submission to one another. To display mutual submission so that the home functions according to God's design. And what you'll notice in these three pairs is that the first party is commanded to be obedient to or submissive to the second party. Wives are commanded to submit to their husband. Children are commanded to submit to their parents. Slaves to their master. Today the the parallel would be uh, employees submitting to their employers. But we also notice in these three pairs that the first pair is is not the only one that is to be submitting. The second party in these three pairs is also to to show submission in terms of serving, in terms of loving, caring for the first party. So husbands are to sacrificially love, serve, nourish, cherish, care for their wives. 
Parents are to serve their children in the sense that they lovingly raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And masters or employers are to, to take proper care of their employees. So you see, both parties in these relationships are doing what? They are serving one another, and in so doing, they are ultimately serving the Lord. Now, let's be very clear on this. God's word does not make any spiritual distinction between Christians. Galatians 3.28 states, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither Slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So there is no such thing as a sort of spiritual caste system between believers. All believers have the same salvation. They all have the same new nature in Christ. They all have the same inheritance in Christ. They all have equal standing and value before God. They have all the same rights and privileges before God. But God has ordained distinctions in terms of the roles and functions that Christians fulfill. God has ordered and delegated authority, for example, to husbands over their wives. He has given, for example, authority to parents over their children, etc. Well, Today we're going to start this new section by examining the role and the responsibilities of the Christian wife in relationship to her husband's authority. Let's read about that beginning in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. God's word declares, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, that last verse, verse 24, gives a a rather good summary of what this passage is all about. In it, basically, Paul is teaching this big idea. As the church submits to Christ, so too the spirit-filled Christian wife should submit to her husband in everything. And why should the Christian wife do this? Well, as we're going to see, Paul gives us three basic reasons in our text. The Christian wife should submit to her husband because of Christ's lordship, her husband's headship, and because of the church's relationship to Christ. So the first reason is Christ's lordship. Again, verse 22 states, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Sadly, the world has turned the word submit into an ugly word. It's turned it into a politically incorrect word, an oppressive word. But all Christians really should see the word submit as a beautiful word, as a Christ-like word. Submit means to voluntarily surrender one's rights. In other words, what we want to do in order to humbly serve the best interest of others and in so doing, do God's will. And you know what? That is exactly what Jesus did for us and our salvation. And that is why submission should be a beautiful, glorious word to us as Christians. We've got to understand, Jesus the Savior was all about submission, He humbly submitted to the Father's will, and even humbly submitted to us in that he served us. And therefore, we are to joyfully follow in his steps by humbly submitting to him and to one another. More specifically in our text, the Christian wife is commanded to submit to her husband, and she should obey that command as to the Lord. So she should do this for the Lord's glory and for her own good. Now you say for her own good, a lot of people will throw fit over that. Sounds counterintuitive, countercultural. But it is true, and we know that as Christians, because all of the commands of the all-wise, all-loving God of heaven are for our good. The reality is, is he has commanded all of us 
to submit to various human authorities that he has put over us for our good. So let's be clear on this. The Christian wife is not the only one who is to submit. Their husbands have to submit to various human authorities that God's put over them as well. So God has ordained and delegated his authority to human authorities over us, and it's for our good. Authority structures make society function properly. Authority structures make the church function properly, and they also make the home function properly. Because a wife's submission to her husband is according to God's will. Christians should not see submission as something that is degrading, but again, as something glorious, as something good and beautiful. I ask you, is it degrading for the church to submit to Christ? No. It is actually to the church's glory that she submits to Christ. The church submits to Jesus, and what does he do? Well, as we'll see later on, verse 27 says he presents her, the church, to himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And likewise, a wife's submission to her husband is, is her glory, and it is for her ultimate good and joy. Let's remember again the context of our text here. It's, it's within the context of the spirit-filled life. And as we considered last week, the evidences of being spirit-filled are what? The spirit-filled are, are joyful people who joyfully sing, who joyfully give thanksgiving to God, and yes, joyfully submit. We've got to see that all of this is wrapped together. Let's be clear on this. The pathway to joy comes through submission, just as submission to the Lord leads to the joy of the Christian, so too a wife's submission to her husband is the pathway to joy. Why? Because doing God's things, God's way, will always lead to true joy. Further still, Christians should see submission as a glorious and beautiful thing because it reflects the triune Godhead. Think of this just for a moment. In the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead are equally God, equal in nature. And yet, in order to accomplish his redemptive plan, the Son submits to the Father, and the Spirit submits both to the Father and the Son. And so I ask you, is the Son of God inferior to the Father? No. Or is the Spirit inferior to either the Father or the Son? No. Is it degrading? For the Son or the Spirit to voluntarily submit, that is to take on a subordinate role, a relational role within the Trinity. And of course the answer is no. It is through the order of authority and submission that the triune God has accomplished the infinitely good work of our redemption. Let's be clear on this, there is no competition within the Trinity There's only perfect love. There's only perfect unity, harmony. And likewise, in a marriage that has a husband and wife that understands their God-given roles will have unity, love, and harmony. To understand, in a marriage, the husband and wife, as persons, are of equal status before God. Just as each member of the Trinity is equal, so too... In essence and in nature, we would say ontologically, husband and wife are equals. The wife is in no way inferior to her husband before God. They are both made equally in the image of God. They both are equal heirs together of the grace of life. However, the triune God has established an order of authority in marriage, one that again reflects his image. When a Christian husband and wife rightly reflect this God-ordained order in their marriage, their marriage is a profound testimony to the watching lost world. As we know, in the lost world, people are constantly battling. They're constantly fighting for one's rights, one's agenda and way. 
But when non-Christians look at Christian marriages, they should see something radically different. They should see a Christian wife joyfully submitting to and respecting her husband, always striving for his best interest. And they should also see a Christian husband sacrificially, tenderly loving, serving, leading, cherishing, nourishing, caring for his wife as Christ cares for the church. Brethren, this is what the watching world should see in each one of our marriages. And if they do, it will be a very powerful witness to them. And by the way, it will also be a profound and powerful witness to our children. Mom and Dad, let's realize our relationship with one another will either commend Christ to our children or will dissuade our children from Christ. So you see, a Christian wife submitting to her husband should not be seen by Christians as a bad thing, but as a very good thing. A thing that is done as to the Lord, our text says. And that, of course, is the ultimate reason why a wife should submit to her husband. She should submit to him because in doing so, she is ultimately submitting to who? The Lord. You see, a godly wife submits to her husband because she ultimately wants to glorify God through her obedience. A godly wife sees her submission to her husband as really a matter of discipleship to Jesus, as a matter of being more conformed to his image, the one who exemplified submission ultimately. Conversely, the wife who rebels against submission to her husband, is really rebelling against the Lord, who again is the one who ordered this uh, order of authority in marriage. He ordained it. So the bottom line is a, a, a wife is to obey the Lord's command to voluntarily submit to her husband, who is also referred to in our text as her head. Which brings us to the next reason the Christian wife should submit to her husband. She should do that. Because of his headship. Now, if you look at the beginning of verse 23, you'll notice the conjunction for, and that's indicating an explanation for verse 22. So the reason a wife should submit to her husband is this, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. There are two main truths that we need to understand about a husband's headship from this verse. First of all, a husband's headship was ordained by God at creation. Eve was created for Adam to be his helper, to complement him. She enabled him to fulfill God's calling on him. Again, in nature and in essence, Eve was Adam's equal in the sight of God, ontologically equal. But God appointed Adam as the head of his wife, a fact that was evidenced in Adam naming his wife. Husband and wife are one flesh. They are one body. But we have to understand there is an order to the body. The head leads the rest Of the body members. So the husband, as head, gives leadership to his wife, and she is to submit to that leadership. And if she doesn't, she is like an arm that is just out of control, not obeying what the head is saying. So God gave an order of authority to the human body, and He has also given an order of authority in the home. The fact of the matter is, is God could have easily created Adam and Eve at the same time, the very same moment, but he didn't do that. He first created Adam and then created Eve out of Adam. And thus, as Paul states in 1 Corinthians eleven nine, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. God created the woman to be a helpmeet, a, a helper suitable for man to assist him and carrying out his God-given task. So we must realize husband and wife roles are, are not 
culturally determined as egalitarians argue for. If that were the case, then we could just get rid of these biblical roles if our society, our culture were to reject them. And of course, our society today does reject them. So we could just get rid of them if they were culturally determined. But they are not. They are timeless. They transcend culture. Marriage roles were ordained by God at creation. Thus, the role of the husband as the head and the wife as subject to him are fixed roles no matter what society, what culture says today. Note, verse 23 does not say the husband can be or ought to be the head. No, it says what? The husband is the head of the wife. What does that is indicate? It indicates a statement of fact, not a statement of possibility. A wife may well be smarter than her husband. She may work harder than him. She may be a better leader than him. She may may be more spiritual than him. He may be an utter lazy bum. He may be spiritually immature. He may be a poor leader, but he is according to the text, is the head of the wife. That is his position of authority, which is what the word head or headship means. It means authority. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul states, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So again, man or husband is the head. He has authority over his wife. And men, that reality should put the fear of God in our hearts. As husbands, should put the fear of God in our hearts. Why? Because whether we want to be or not, we are in a position of leadership and authority in the home. And we will be answerable to God for how we lead our wives, especially in how we spiritually lead them. And so I ask you this morning, Christian husband, how are you spiritually leading your wife? Are you leading her like Christ? To understand, Christian husbands were not put in authority by God over their wives to take advantage of them. Christian husbands, God did not put us in this position so we could be domineering tyrants who are just jerks, who treat our our wives like slaves. We've got to understand, God never gives authority to a human authority for that person to oppress those who are under him. Instead, God delegates his authority so a human authority can bless, can care for, can love, can protect those under his authority. God will hold these human authorities accountable for that. So understand, Christian husband and father, this means that the Lord will hold you accountable for your wife and children, how you have led them. Now, this does not mean, just to clarify, this doesn't mean a husband and father has to unilaterally make every decision in his home. For example, in terms of finances, he doesn't have to micromanage every you know, purchase that goes on. He doesn't have to pay every bill. But he should give overall oversight to, and he should make final decisions regarding major financial matters. As the head, he is ultimately held responsible for the direction and decision-making that happens in the home. And again, this is especially the case in terms of spiritual leadership. So, if he is delinquent in his spiritual leadership, he will have to answer to God. Christian husband, understand the great and good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down his life for your wife. He loves her, and he has appointed you as an under-shepherd to spiritually lead her. You could say you are, in a sense, her pastor, 
So I ask you, how are you shepherding her? How are you pastoring her? And Christian wives, how are you responding to your husband's spiritual leadership? God has appointed him as your head to submit to him and tenderly follow his leadership. Are you doing that? You should because it is for your good. The second main truth that we need to understand from verse 23. The husband's headship is intended for his wife's good, just as Christ's headship is intended for the church's good. Look again at verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This verse ought to greatly reassure wives when it comes to their submission to their husbands. And at the same time, it ought to greatly challenge husbands to be like Christ. Obviously, when we look at this comparison to the Savior, obviously Jesus is the only one that can uniquely fill that role as Savior, Savior of our souls, Savior from our sins. Husbands can't be that for their wives in a salvific sense. But there is an analogy here in the sense that husbands are to preserve, protect, and provide for their wives, as Christ does for his church. Like the Savior, husbands must sacrificially give of themselves in love for their wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christian husband, this means you should use your headship to sacrificially care for, protect, lead, nourish, cherish, help your wife. And knowing this should greatly reassure the Christian wife because she can know that her godly Christian husband will not harm her if she submits to him. Instead, if she submits to him, she'll know that he will physically, emotionally, and spiritually care for her. But men, let's understand, if we don't lead our wives as we should, we are going to make it much more difficult on them to submit to us. When we abandon our God-given authority to lead as we should, it is like we leave our, our wives spiritually unprotected and vulnerable. We're like a derelict shepherd who doesn't lead his sheep, who doesn't care for and protect his sheep. But if we exercise our God-given headship like Christ, it is for our wife's good. Verse 24 gives us the final reason the Christian wife should submit to her husband. She should do that because of the church's relationship to Christ. Paul continues, verse 24 Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So as the bride of Christ, the church willingly recognizes his authority over her, and she seeks to please him in everything, in all things. And the Christian wife should aim to do the same with her husband. And she will if she views her marriage through the lens of that higher relationship between Christ and his bride, if she keeps that big picture in mind, she will not find it as difficult to submit to her husband in everything. Why? Because she knows that he also has some duties in reference to that higher, larger relationship, that marriage between Christ and In his bride, the church, he understands, the husband understands, that he has to be like Christ in that marriage. So just as the church should have no problem in submitting to Christ in everything because of his love and his care for her, so too a Christian wife should have no problem submitting to her Christ-like husband. Together their marriage is intended to typify the unique and glorious relationship between Christ and his church. Every Christian marriage should be an illustration to the world of the greater eternal relationship of Christ and the church. All Christian marriages 
should function like Christ and his bride, the church. If Christian couples would just keep this larger, bigger perspective constantly in view, they would never have an argument. They would never feel a strain in their relationship with one another. It just wouldn't happen. The problem is a Christian wife or a Christian husband or both of them do not keep the larger picture of Christ and his bride in view. But if a Christian husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, and if a Christian wife submits to her husband as the church does to Christ, then there's going to be great harmony and great love in the home. Now, when we look at verse 24, one of the natural questions that pops up is, does a wife really have to submit to her husband in everything? Does she really need to submit to that extent Well, that is plainly what the verse says, in everything. But we cannot interpret verse 24 without seeing it in light of verse 22. It says that a wife is to submit to her husband, what? As to the Lord. So a wife's submission in everything has to fit within the framework of that phrase, to the Lord. So, to the Lord qualifies submission in everything. So that means submission in everything does not include sin. A Christian wife should submit to her husband unconditionally unless he asks her to do something that is sinful or would encourage him to sin. Husband asks his wife to do something that runs contrary to the word of God, something the word of God explicitly forbids, then she is to decline his request. She has to obey her higher authority, her ultimate authority, who is God, instead of her husband. So just to give some examples, if a husband asks his wife to lie for him, to get him out of a really tough situation, or if she if he tells her that she's got to stop attending church worship services, or if he asks her to watch immoral things on TV with him, she needs to respectfully say no to his demands and not submit, because those things are not as to the Lord. Further, submission and everything does not include a wife letting her husband commit crimes that would physically hurt herself or her children or, for that matter, someone else. For example, if a husband is physically abusing her or their children, she cannot passively tolerate that sin. The husband, in that case, is breaking God's laws, breaking state law, and she needs to get herself and her children to a safe place and needs to report him to the police. Further still, submission in everything does not include a wife enabling her husband to sin. So, for instance, a wife should not encourage her husband to be lazy and irresponsible by treating her as some kind of slave for every little task. Now, of course, Titus 2.5 does say that wives are to be homemakers, and so obviously, a wife is going to be doing a whole lot of work around the house, but she shouldn't be treated like a slave while the husband just lazily sits back and does nothing. Again, he is supposed to be like Christ. So that means he needs to be seeking out ways where he can sacrificially serve his wife, sacrificially love and be a blessing to his wife. If he's acting like he's some kind of king and bossing his wife around like a slave, an on-demand slave, the, the wife needs to respectfully have a chat with him. A blunt but respectful chat to tell him that she isn't going to keep enabling him in his sin of laziness. So those are some things that submission in everything does not entail. But we also need to understand what it does entail. 
A wife's submission in everything involves submitting not only in her actions, but also in her thoughts, her attitudes, and words. A wife needs to be submissive and respectful toward her husband in her thought life. Just as Christians need to be respectful and submissive in their thought life towards Christ. So submission is not just an action issue, it is also an attitude issue. Christian wives, I ask you, are you constantly complaining about your husband in your thoughts? And sometimes even in your words? Or do your thoughts and words focus on his strengths? Do you thank God for him? Are your words encouraging to him? Are they supportive of him? Also, a wife's submission and everything involves submitting to his requests, of course, that are not sinful, but, but radly are biblically based. Sometimes Christian wives can refuse to submit to their husbands who are making a scripturally based request of them because they do not feel like their husband is measuring up. So, so the wife will argue, well, why should I obey him in this thing when he doesn't love me as he should? Or why should I obey him in this thing when he is not fully submitted to Christ in these ways? Why should you obey? Why should you submit? Because your husband is not asking you to do something sinful. That's why you should obey. That's why you should submit. He's, he's asking you something that is reasonable or even scripturally based. So, for example, if your husband asks you to help someone out who is in need and you're able to do that, you're physically able, you have the time to do that, you should do that. Why? Because that request is biblically based. It's something that's biblical. Or if you've been gossiping or or slandering others, and he asks you to stop doing that, you should submit to his request. Why? Because he's asking you to do something that's biblical. Or if you're wearing something that he feels is immodest and would want you to change it to something that is more modest, you should submit to this because, again, he's asking you to do something that is rooted in Scripture. As a wife, you should not fight against these requests in your words or even in your thinking. Instead, you should thank God that your husband actually thinks biblically and that he loves you enough to look after your best interest spiritually. Clarifications I've just given on submission and everything answer some of the questions about what submission means and what it does not mean. But there are some other clarifications that need to be given. What else does a Christian wife's submission to her husband not mean? Well, for one thing, a wife's submission does not mean that she should be passive and never try to influence her husband for godliness. If you remember back to our study in 1 Peter, we saw Scripture advocating for the exact opposite of that. If the Christian wife has an unsaved husband... What is she to do? She is to let her godly and gentle conduct influence her unsaved husband and perhaps win him to Christ. And even if her husband is a a believer, a godly wife can influence him toward Christ's likeness. She can respectfully, humbly confront her husband in sin. Because she's not only the husband's wife, but she's also a sister in Christ. And so she can respectfully, lovingly call on him to repent of sin in his life. So let's be clear. Submission doesn't mean a Christian wife cannot share her thoughts and feelings. But if there is an issue where a husband and wife disagree, and ultimately the husband overrides his wife's objections, as long as it's not something sinful, the wife should submit to that decision, and she should do so happily and respectfully, knowing that she has done God's will. Of course, a a wise and godly husband will only uh, 
override in a decision like this, after he has very carefully considered everything that his wife has said, he wants to take his wife's opinion seriously, respecting what she has said. He wants to give a lot of prayer to it. He wants to to comb the scriptures. He may want to seek out pastoral counsel. What I'm saying is a Christian husband shouldn't dismiss his wife's opinions willy-nilly. He needs to take them seriously. Also, submission does not mean a wife should hide her spiritual gifts for fear of outshining her husband. I think Priscilla and Aquila are a good example of this. Uh, Priscilla really seemed to take a very prominent big role in helping Apollos get his theology straight. Her prominence seems apparent given that her name is listed before her husband's name most of the time, which is something very unusual in ancient literature. I've already mentioned quite a bit about what a wife's submission means, but what else does her submission to her husband mean? Well, I've already touched on this, but let me just go ahead and be explicit about it at this point. Submission includes a wife's respect for her husband. Perhaps more than anything else, a husband desires his wife's respect. And she should give it to him as she sees the responsibility that he bears before God. She should respect him for it. If you look down at verse 33, what does it say? It says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So respect is a big part of true submission to the the, the wife's husband. True submission isn't just the the wife doing the right thing, but it's also having a right and godly attitude of respect toward her husband as she does that right thing. It's just like our obedience to the Lord, right? The Lord doesn't want us just to do right actions. He wants us to have the right attitude that accompany those right actions, So a wife shouldn't begrudgingly submit to her husband while complaining about it, while criticizing him in her thoughts or in her words. Instead, a wife should happily submit in order to please the Lord and also to please her husband. And this is another aspect of a wife's submission. It's wanting to please her husband. We understand a A Christian marriage shouldn't be a competition between a husband and wife to get their own way. Instead, both should be seeking to please the other. So, Christian wife, for example, if your husband likes for things to be done a certain way, then go ahead and do it that way. Again, we're not talking about sinful things. We're just talking about neutral things. Do it to please him. And, of course, husbands should seek to do the same for their wife. Something else submission means is transparent submission, not subversion. By this, what I mean is a a wife shouldn't pretend to submit to her husband to his face, but then work behind the scenes to undermine him. Nor should a, a wife submit to her husband to his face, but then complain about it so much that her her husband gets worn down and he eventually just caves into her desires. No, true submission yields to a husband's decision as final and rests content in it. Further, submission means a wife encourages her husband to lead her and eagerly follows his lead. Sadly, when some husbands lead their wives, especially in terms of spiritual leadership, the man's wife can criticize him for his leadership. And this sometimes so deflates and so discourages a husband that he just doesn't feel like leading spiritually in particular anymore. He just gives up. He figures, what's the use? She doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect my leadership. I'm just not going to try anymore. Ladies, don't do that to your husband. Encourage him to lead you and especially lead you spiritually. And then eagerly follow him. Don't put him down. Don't oppose his leadership Cheer on his leadership. Thank him for his spiritual leadership. 
Further still, a wife's submission means she loves her husband. Uh, This aspect can actually be overlooked here in Ephesians 5 because obviously Paul puts a, a big emphasis on the husband sacrificially loving his wife as Christ loves the church. But in Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, we see Paul linking a wife's submission to her love for him. There Paul writes, older Christian women are to do what? They're to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, homemakers in other words, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So you can see there, love and submission are linked together. When we put all of this together, Scripture is quite clear. It simply commands, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Certainly, I understand if your husband isn't being and doing all that he should be and do, this command is not always easy to obey. But you've got to understand, your husband is going to have to answer to God for that. So don't wait on him to love you as he should, care for you and serve you as he should. Don't blame him. Don't get bitter at him. Instead, just trust the Lord and obey him. In other words, what I'm saying is do the right thing. Do the radical thing, which is to submit to your husband in every area, even as the church should submit to Christ in all things. Christian wife, I just want to say today, if you are very resistant to this portion of Scripture, if you're pushing back against God's word, you've got to understand you're not submitting ultimately to the Lord. So the question for you today is, will you submit to God first and foremost, and in so doing, submit to his appointed head over you, which is your husband? Wives, I just want you to know, don't worry, I'm going to get to your husband. Here in these next couple of weeks, I'm going to have to say a lot to them, much more than I've said to you this morning. But the question for you is this. Will you eagerly, sacrificially, gladly, respectfully, lovingly, in attitude and action, submit to your husband? This is God's will for you. As the church submits to Christ, so too the spirit-filled Christian wife should submit to her husband in everything. Let's bow for prayer.